Comcast wants to learn how to train a dragon. All that and more on this Consumer Goods Edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. I am Sean O'Reilly, joining you here from Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It is May 3rd, 2016, and I am here in studio with the incomparable Vincent Shen, and we're talking all things consumer goods. How's it going, man? How are you, Sean? Not too bad. Um, So, Comcast came out of nowhere and said, hey, DreamWorks, we want to buy you. (laughs) And... um, this is probably a long time coming, and we'll we'll get into the reasons for that in a minute. Because uh, you know, Dreamix for a long time has been a value stock by most measures. Um, plus, you know, everybody likes Shrek and you know Madagascar and stuff. But um, before we dive in, um, did you happen to watch any highlights from the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting? No, I've seen some of Buffett's comments, some, and I know that you know Michael from our team was able to go out and actually attend the meeting. He uh, he and Gabby did a great show yesterday. So for our listeners that you know don't normally listen to the financial show, highly recommend doing that. Uh, it, it aired yesterday, and it was a really good show. Michael went; he was in the press box at uh, Berkshire Hathaway. He brought us back peanut brittle. Yeah, he so they were able. So please listen in to the highlights from uh, you know yesterday's episode of Industry Focus. But uh, we wanted to cover some of the highlights, at least for you know consumer focused companies here. So what did yeah? You see so from? I I just we don't Buffett actually didn't do a ton of talking about consumer goods brands because it's you know he classic Buffett investments are Coca Cola, Gillette, Procter and Gamble. I mean it's it's so well known that he probably he doesn't spend a ton of time on them. Although um, if you read any of those old like how to pick stocks like Warren Buffett books that are written in the nineties and the early two thousands, um, they always cite these consumer goods brands, which is kind of our bread and butter, at least for this show. Um, as what he looks for in a company. And uh, we got a few good tidbits that I actually just wanted to highlight for our listeners. Um, the, the first, the, the, the biggest of which was you know, the red and white elephant in the room was uh, Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. Um, do you still drink Coke, Vince? I'm not a huge soda drinker these days, um, and I know you used to be though. I know I was. Well, you sure as a kid, I think yeah. everybody before I guess you know this bigger movement towards healthier foods and trying to avoid sugary drinks like these sodas, and you know the com- these companies have seen that. Right. But Buffett still seems pretty bullish on the company, right? Yeah, he. Um, he so people in the audience, and even that uh, that hedge fund uh, in, uh, investor Bill Ackman, they've all like you know basically. Criticizing Buffett for owning a stake in Coca-Cola, I mean, he owns like nine percent of the company. It's worth like ten or twelve billion dollars or something. Um, because Coke, you know, Ackman says it leads to obesity and oh, it's bad for you. These sugary drinks are just—it's terrible for you. They aren't part of a good diet and all this stuff. And uh, Buffett's answer to it, which you got to give him credit, it's it's comical and everything. But uh, he notes that he gets 700 calories a day, about a fourth of his caloric intake, from Coca-Cola, and switching to water and broccoli may not make it easier to living to 100. <laughs> I uh, yeah. So that was his response to the whole diet type stuff, whatever. Um, it was it wasn't at this meeting. There was a previous meeting where Charlie Munger chimed in and. He talked about how um, sugars can sometimes help soften up arteries and make them less hard and all this stuff. So, oh man, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be taking uh, you know medical advice from Charlie Munger, who I respect quite a bit. Well, and he's 92, so you could do a lot worse. But, there you go. Yeah, um, is he 92? He's in his early 90s. Yes, he so, is. Anyway, um, the other 
question that was thrown at Buffett regarding Coca-Cola was executive compensation at um, Coke headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia. Yes. Um, Buffett's son took his spot on Coca-Cola's board, and um, Buffett actually, so the board just had to vote recently on compensation packages for Coca-Cola's management team, and it included a lot of stock options. Mm -hmm. And Buffett actually, he didn't vote for it, he didn't vote against it, he abstained. And And that's a pretty significant... Uh, that's pretty significant since they own what nine percent of the company. Yeah, it's it would be you know you know the IF team voting on something and like half the people not being there or something. It's, sure, um, or you not voting are that important. Um, but and uh, and everybody was like, why didn't you vote against it if you don't like the compensation? If you don't, you know, you you've said stock options, which these guys are getting to a large degree in the compensation package in question. Um, why didn't you just vote against it? And he's like, that would go against what I want, and I don't want to give the impression that I don't broadly support the management team, which I do. And so he abstained. I don't know. It's it's kind of it, you you get the sense that it's a classic Buffett move because he does not like direct compensation or or wars or anything. So. Um, last but not least, before we moved on, um, we've talked a lot about Heinz. We've talked about Burger King in the past, and these are, of course, deals made by 3G Capital, uh, the private equity firm that Buffett's teamed up with, in particular for the Heinz deal. Again, lauded praises on them. Munger said he loves their cost-cutting initiatives of literally cost getting rid of any unnecessary expense. And uh, coolest thing out of the meeting that I liked was um, Buffett said he's in awe of Jeff Bezos' genius for making customers happy buying the things they were already buying. Um, I can attest to that. I love my Prime membership. I get my detergent delivered to my door, and I have a smile on my face. So. Yeah, I, I wasn't really surprised by that comment. Just you know, I, you know, he's always come off as somebody who respects uh, talented management, somebody who's visionary. And I, I don't yeah. think you could, I don't think, uh, you know, you could take that away from just Be- Jeff Bezos and what he's done with Amazon for sure. I wonder, I. I, I would kill to know Buffett's thoughts on Amazon's valuation, like on a PE gap type basis. Questionable. I would, I would love to know that. Um, anyway, so moving on to the story of the day. Um, I definitely didn't see this coming. I don't think anybody saw this coming, but um, Comcast is buying DreamWorks. Yeah, um, so this is the. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is the story I was really interested to talk about today. Uh, this is I, I know the, the announcement was made actually last Thursday, and uh, you know the rumor has actually broke probably that Tuesday or Wednesday, mm-hmm. and so uh, keep in mind that with this deal, you know Comcast and specifically its NBC Universal division will be uh, taking over DreamWorks Animation and integrating that into their filmed entertainment, entertainment group. Makes perfect sense, right? Uh, and you know so you know basic core details of the deal. Offer price was forty one dollars per share, which actually was quite a premium. And I'm sure yeah, it was made, in the twenties, wasn't it? Which made uh, I'm sure I made DreamWorks shareholders quite happy. So that's a premium of fifty one percent from Tuesday's close, which is probably uh, which is the price I'm using. Just you know, because that was before the rumors started getting out. There's a lot of trading activity on Wednesday. In fact, the stock jumped nineteen percent on Wednesday on buyout rumors, and then when the official deal was announced, it jumped another twenty four percent following the announcement. So in in all, that's about a fifty one percent premium massive that Comcast is paying. And you know, I kind of wanted to break down this discussion into two parts, call it, you know, just from the perspective of DreamWorks shareholders and then what it means for Comcast specifically. So, you know, on the uh, side of being, you know, the acquired for DreamWorks shareholders, I think overall investors 
probably quite pleased uh, with what is turning out to be a nice turn of events for them. Uh, the stock peaked in late 2013 at just over $35 per share, and since then it has generally been trading in a range between $20 and $25. They've had hits and misses at the box well, office. Well, that's what I was about to comment, because um, they've obviously had some hits like Shrek and you know Madagascar and stuff, but they've had a lot of flops too, yes. and it's kind of kind of middling along and of course they have to compete with the behemoth that is Disney's Pixar. And so. we've seen that in the results too. So the company's logged a net loss in 3 of the past 5 years and you know, the adjusted a lot of their adjusted earnings numbers are turning positive only if they after they back out some of these major restructuring charges that they announced. I think it was at the beginning of 2015. So we're talking about uh, millions of dollars in terms of uh Employee termination contracts, but also uh, write-offs that they took with properties that ended up not working for them. Uh, and full year 2015 results definitely showed some positive momentum. Revenue was up 34%, uh, and they had pretty robust growth across the company. That included, you know, their feature films, their TV series, their consumer products, their new media, and um, you know, looking at the ticket sales for Box Office Mojo, though, and this kind of uh, kind of put things in perspective for me. Of DreamWorks' top ten highest-grossing movies in the U.S., only two of them are from the past five years. Yeah, and that's when about you right adjust too. for ticket price inflation, that falls to just one. So only one of its top ten best performers within the U.S. box office, at least, are you know recent properties. I a lot of their bigger. Uh, movies, their franchise Shrek, for example, you know that was that finished its last film in 2010. How to Train Your Dragon's done well for them. They have How to Train Your Dragon three, I believe, coming out uh, next year. And the thing is, you know, the company has definitely struggled with some uh, some of its flops that included like Mr. Peabody and Sherman, Turbo, Penguins of Madagascar, where they basically could not recoup all the costs they spent on production, uh, production and on marketing. So. Definitely, I think for Dreamers shareholders, they're happy. You know, Katzenberg said basically, you know, this is the deal that we've been waiting for. So, and that be, he's the CEO and founder of, of the studio. So, on the Comcast side, it's uh, I, obviously it's going to be much less of an impact. We have to keep in mind, I want to get make sure listeners have the context that, you know, for this purchase, Comcast has more than they can pay for it with their cash on hand. Three point eight billion dollars. They have about five point six billion, I think, cash on hand, and that forty one dollars per share. They're giving DreamWorks shareholders a payout of about eighty times their expected twenty sixteen earnings for DreamWorks. So, really, really big valuation. But at the same time, you know, keep in mind that the film entertainment division, where DreamWorks is only going to be a part of, it still only makes up about ten percent of total revenue of Comcast. And ultimately, the company still generates over sixty percent of its top line from its actual, you know, core cable business. So, you know, if we remember that, this deal is, you know, likely. I in my, you know, as I'll get through the details, potentially it's going to be additive. It's still a very small piece of a much bigger puzzle. And so, moving on to, you know, what Comcast is really getting from this. So, I think it comes down to three things: DreamWorks content library. Uh, the opportunities it has to integrate that intellectual property into uh, other segments, especially its theme parks, and then Jeff Katzenberg. So, in the first, uh, you know, DreamWorks has a ton of famous characters. You mentioned a few of them, but we're talking about Shrek, Kung Fu Panda, How to Train Your Dragon, and they also have 
uh, actually a lot of older characters I didn't know about, like Rudolph Red-Nosed Reindeer, Casper Lassie, I think Frosty the Snowman. I can't believe they own Rudolph. So that's really big uh, for the Comcast to be able to leverage, especially with t- uh, some of their TV entertainment, their theme parks. And a big project that Comcast has for its theme park division, actually, you know, they're building a multi-billion dollar uh, new park in China, near Beijing, it'll occupy 300 acres. It'll eventually develop out through multiple phases. Is this to about part, a thousand acres? Is that part of the um, the? You know what I'm talking about. That's because Disney uh, Disneyland or Disney World uh, China is in that huge part outside Beijing. But that's out Shanghai. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, and then is so, that is that part of it then? I think I'd say it's part of a wider effort to okay, develop I'll these theme that. parks. You know, China's becoming basically the biggest theme park market. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and within China, you know, in that same market, it's, which is, by the way, expected to soon outpace the U.S. as the biggest box office market, uh, DreamWorks also has some relationships and joint, joint ventures that I think Comcast could uh, really leverage. So, just for example, you know, currently uh, in China, they have basically a... A quota on the number of foreign films that can go to market or that can be shown in China uh, as part to kind of like protect their do- domestic features. So I think that number is around three dozen, about 34 movies per year now. But with the recent release of Kung Fu Panda 3, uh, basically DreamWorks was able to develop that uh, with a joint venture studio in China and they were able to release that without. Uh, being on the quota list, for example, just part of that relationship they developed there that I'm sure Comcast wants access to, with China becoming, uh, you know, a really big entertainment market for them. So, in terms of the management and getting back to Katzenberg, so he's going to be kind of like a consultant now to NBC Universal, and he'll also be focused on awesomeness TV, which has been a big growth, uh, a, a big piece of growth for DreamWorks. It's basically this millennial-focused kind of multimedia platform. But the actual leadership now for DreamWorks is going to be uh, Chris Melodandri, who currently runs Universal's own animated studio, which is Illumination Entertainment. And you know, Illumination itself, you know, Comcast has already seen some success because Despicable Me and Minions have been huge, especially in the past two years. And I th- I'm really interested to see what uh, you know this guy Chris is going to be able to do in terms of changing the vision a little bit. Because a lot of people were starting to say, think at least, that Katzenberg had maybe taken DreamWorks as far as he could, mm-hmm. and the you know the the you know somewhat lukewarm results over the past few years and the, some of the box office disappointments, not really I guess certain anymore in terms of where he can take the company now you have the resources of comcast its distribution platform you know and you know where now this kind of new vision can take it and i think people are very bullish on that and you know i just thinking about also the i think how comcast was tempted into this deal you mentioned that you know a bit out of the blue dreamworks has been a potential acquisition target multiple times well, now it's been from other just, it, companies. It, it's been a pervasive, oh, they'll get acquired by somebody stock for, I mean, years. And uh, and here we are. And, and based on uh, some of the some of the background for how this deal came about that I was able, that I was able to find in a report from the Los Angeles Times, basically Katzenberg was potentially working with Chinese investors to take the company private. Mm-hmm. And when Comcast management. Uh, basically heard about this, they immediately jumped on the deal. And so they, you know, they flew out, uh, met with Katzenberg, got a tour of the facilities, looked at the financials, and I think it was just like maybe a week or two later, they were able to announce this deal. So really fast turnaround. Um, and 
you know, putting things again into context now for again some of the comp- competition we've mentioned Disney, you know, obviously they have had a string of hits based off of their prior acquisitions of Lucasfilm for example, Marvel, That's putting Pixar. It mildly. And a lot of people see that as the gold standard of uh, of how enter- how that company has come to like dominate the entertainment world. So let's just look at this a little bit. Marvel was a $4 billion purchase in 2009 for Disney. Lucasfilm was a $4.1 billion purchase. So right around the size of this deal for DreamWorks, $3.8 billion. So the question is, does DreamWorks have those characters and that intellectual property that is able to generate these massive hits that Marvel and Lucasfilm have? I and think people ba- are not sure about that. Based upon the price tag that we're talking about for DreamWorks, I mean, that looks makes Marvel look like... I mean, the deal of the century right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... <laughs> and at the time, a lot of people had considered, you know, Bob Iger as being willing to pay top dollar for right. the, for these companies, but, uh, you know, their value obviously played out as part of that Disney ecosystem, call it. Right. And, well, and that's just it. And, you know, when you were talking and everything, I, I kept thinking to myself, the reason it works for both parties is because DreamWorks is more valuable under the Comcast umbrella, just as arguably Star Wars is more valuable under the Disney umbrella because they can make rides and put on TV shows. Yeah, and... I do I do believe that uh, DreamWorks, you know, in terms of its future and, and where the, you know, its films will go and its TV shows and things like that, I do think there's a lot of potential in joining with such a essentially bigger parent, uh, with something with a lot of influence. And uh, NBC Universal, Universal Studios, did incredibly well in the box office last year. I think they led all the major studios, actually, in terms of ticket ticket sales. And so, uh, you know, with all of that in mind, you know, Comcast, this is a small deal for them, uh, even at $3.8 billion, and even at that high premium. So, not excusing that, at the same time, I do see where... They find, uh, you know, what they see as big opportunities in terms of in China in leveraging some of that IP library that DreamWorks has, and then basically turning this into a good deal. I think Comcast management has proven themselves with previous acquisitions to be pretty savvy with, with integrating uh, the companies that they buy and, and having a good eye for what they think are, will be strong assets for them. And this is just another example of that. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for your thoughts, Vince. Thanks, Sean. Have a good one. And if you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that's industryfocus at fool.com. And as always, people on this program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Vincent Shen, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening and Fool on. 